Ted Paxson here today. I think we're going to do a great job. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Modern Man Podcast, where we are here to put wind in each other's sails, unlock potential, and cultivate community by embracing discomfort. If this sounds like you, you are in the right place. We are going to be getting some strategies and some tactics on unlocking our potential and some wind in our sails today from a guest I'm excited to introduce, Stephen Rudolph. Thank you so much for being on the show, CEO of MNI, joining us from the States, even though you usually reside in Cambodia. That's right. Thanks for having me, Ted. I'm really happy to be here. Totally dig what you're doing. It resonates with the kind of work I've been doing over the last 30 years, and so I'm eager to jump in. I think that makes you the perfect guest for today's episode because a lot of guys listening, and even the women that might be listening as well, we probably are here because we know there's something more out there. And we don't know what that is. Or there's something else might be itching us every day. Like we're in our day job, but something else might be kind of calling at us. But I'd love for you first to kind of introduce yourself, get acquainted with our audience, and tell them a little bit of who you are, what you do. And then we can kind of jump into your story a little bit and talk about unlocking tigers. Okay. I can say just a quick oversight in what it is that, that I do. I help people discover and connect to their true selves and to find purpose and meaning in their lives so they can be more effective, they can live into their potential, they can find greater satisfaction in their lives. So I would say in a sentence, it's really that, helping people to connect with their true selves and to find purpose. How do you roll into something like that? Where I mean, my understanding is you're chasing a career in music, and then you end up finding something else that you're more innate at. How I arrived there, right, everybody has a long story that explains how they got to where they are. Keeping it short, I would say something like this. When I graduated uh, from college, I had a dream that I wanted to be a rock star. And I moved to New York City to find my fame and fortune in music. And I found out really quickly that aspiring rock stars don't make any money. And I had to get a job to pay my bills. And in my first class that I started teaching, I fell in love with teaching. I got this part-time job, and I, it wasn't what I wanted to be, but I just got a part-time job, paid the bills as a teacher, right? Yeah. But in my first class, it was like, oh, my God, I'm like a fish in water. Like, I know how to do this, and nobody ever taught me how to do it. I never had a single class in education or, you know, teaching or something like that. But it was like intuitively it just came to me. And right there in the class, in the very first class that I taught, about a half hour into it, I got this epiphany, like the voice from the sky that said, Steve, you're not a rock star, you're a teacher. And I was like, <laughs> boom, like a bolt of lightning. And I was like, oh, my God, like this is really what it's about. It was a full 180 degree turn. But there I was thinking, you know, I'm going to be on stage. I'm going to be the next like whoever in music. But this and I said to myself, Ted, I was like, oh, my God, I could do this for the rest of my life. Hmm. I would never have to drink another drink or get intoxicated like this would be enough to get me high. And yeah. here I am, that was 33 years ago. Huh. So I'm still teaching, and I still get the same buzz out of teaching that I got out of it at that time. How do so, you teach today? And I'm still a teacher today. Okay, what I've taught over the years has changed, yeah. but the basic nature that I possess, one of the strong ones, is that of having an educative nature, that my nature is conducive to teaching. Mm. And... I swim in that. And so, and there are many natures. We can get into them later. So that's what I discovered at that time. And although what I've taught has changed, I still traditionally have been, or I could say essentially, I have been an educator all of these years. Yeah. And it, it hasn't gotten dull. 
Yeah, that's amazing because something you said that kind of jumped out at me was fish and water. Right, it's almost as the fish are born swimming. Right, they just know what to do. And there's a, a quote, I believe, it was Einstein that said it: that if, if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it will spend its life forever thinking it is stupid. Absolutely. Now, there's so many of us who might become inept at a skill, or because if we spend enough time at something, I do believe we could pick something up. However, we might not necessarily excel at it and thrive. So let's say we find ourselves in a situation where We've kind of gone through the routines, chopped wood, carried water, and we now have this skill. And there's this combat between what we're innately good at and what we've learned. So almost a nature versus nurture. And you mentioned the many nurtures. I'd love for you to elaborate more because we've had this debate through history of the nature versus nurture and all of that. I'd love to kind of get your insights and thoughts on, the, on that duality. I'm going to lay it clear because <laughs> I've seen a lot of people have misconceptions about this and I have a very what I say is a clear and accurate understanding of this which is backed up both by eastern wisdom I was in India for 21 years Mm -hmm. after I had gone through my discovery in New York I moved to India I was there for 21 years trying to figure out what potential means and how to live into your potential I learned a lot and the same lessons that I discovered there completely square with what modern science and people in the area of uh, neurobiology and neurochemistry say about how the brain works. And it's something like this. What you were describing before were skills. So skills are a fine-tuned way of performing something. And let's just use the body as an example to say that playing tennis is a skill, right, that you would do with your body. Basketball would be a different skill. It would be different from tennis. Golf would be yet another skill. You could build up those skills. But what's underlying that skill is a innate ability for bodily, what you might call bodily intelligence or a fitness capacity, whatever word you want to use. Yeah. I call them tigers just for fun. So I would call it a bodily tiger. You've got this ability that just wants to eat. And do. So what this means is that, yes, you are certainly born with a genetic predisposition. So the the DNA passed on by your parents, as well as what happened to you in the first seven years of your life, especially. So if you had parents who have that particular set of genes of great physicality and fitness and let's call it physical stamina and balance and so on and so forth, they pass it on to you. And in the first seven years of your life, they encourage you to play sports and et cetera. Mm. So you develop a talent for that. And what that means is in the brain, your brain develops a neural pathways, neural networks that get repeated again and again, that you keep doing something again and again, and myelination happens in the brain. That means that there's a coating of myelin, a particular substance, on the neural networks, on those neurons that insulates them and allows electric signals to flow very quickly and instantaneously. Right. And so if you have that happening in the first seven years and it could be for your body, it could be for language, it could be for music, it could be for numbers, it could be for interacting with plants and vegetation and natural things in the environment. It could be socially with people. So whatever the experiences that you've had, right, what happens in the first seven years creates Huge tigers. So if somebody's had a lot of opportunity to interact with people, they become 
highly social, what I call having big social tiger. Or if it was music, then they have huge musical tiger. These underlying capacities or potential, this is what talent is. Mm. Right? Talent is the raw stuff. It's the raw underlying ability to be able to perform different types of tasks. Yeah. And so then what happens afterwards when this process of myelination drops off at age seven, it turns on again for a little while in adolescence and turns off again later. Whatever you build on top of that in terms of specific applications, that's the skill built on top of the talent or the ability. Yeah. So if you've got that really big physical tiger that we were talking about before, right, Mm -hmm. that that bodily thing, and you develop the skill of playing basketball on top of that, right? So if you have the big talent and you work hard to develop the skill, well, then you go on to the NBA or you become really advanced in terms of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's important to understand the difference between a raw talent, which is part of nature and part of nurture, and the skill that you build on top of that. Wow. Let me stop there because it goes on more from there. Yeah. I was going to say, Steve, cover yourself up. You're teaching Tiger show, man. <laughs> I, I have an enormous educative tiger. Yeah. And, and no, and it's amazing. I'm, I'm loving it. And, and that's the thing is, so let's say somebody wants to maybe identify where their talent is and where their innate ability is because a, a lot of folks, a lot of guys listening might think like, I just don't know what I'm good at. I don't know where my potential lies, right? I, I don't have this thing. This guy's good at sports. That guy is amazing at math, and he's a meteorologist. But I just don't have this thing. How can someone start, I guess, maybe identifying what their hidden tigers might be? Yeah. So that's a really great question. There are many ways to understand what talent is. I developed my own method that serves me best. Mm -hmm. It's what I call multiple natures. That's my organization name. And I created an assessment, which is called the MN test, the multiple natures test that in about 20 minutes you can define which are those are those areas and okay. that's available at feedyourtigers.com so if anybody wants you could just go and you can check that out and i've got 19 separate traits 19 tigers that i find are the are the essential ones yeah you could define it in different ways but this model that i've identified using 19 tigers for me it's enough traits and not too many that can give about 10 quadrillion possible combinations of a human being, which is quite yeah. far more than me. In other words, like some models will say there are nine types of people. Some models will say there are 16 types of people. Mm-hmm. I don't look at it like that. I say that there are 7 billion people and there are 7 billion types of people. So you yeah. can't put people into a neat box like that. And so the model that I use is the multiple natures model looks to gain the highest degree of granularity and understanding the differences of an individual. So that's one way. And even in this talk right here, right now, I'll give people a taste, even without doing the test, how they could figure out where their talent lies. Yeah. When you talk about finding that and building that, I mean, you're putting together pretty much, you probably went and did the work, did the research and kind of accumulated this. How did it come about? You mentioned that journey to India. How did this whole thing come about? So when I discovered that huge educative tiger when I was in New York, I said to myself, you know what? I'm really upset that 22 years old, right? Mm. Let's say 19 years of education. So I was going to school since I was like three, you know, nursery school. Or whatever. I never found this out. How come 
In all of those years, I mean, I could tell you about Newton's laws, I could do uh, mathematical proofs, and I could tell you some things about Shakespeare. How is it possible I didn't even learn who I am and, and what I'm naturally good at and what I should do in my life? And so I said, I'm going to open up my own school. And in my school, every kid's going to know who they are. And so I set out to do that. And at that time, a friend of mine was in India. And he said to me, hey, man, don't open up your school in New York. Come to India and open it up here. And I was like, wow. And I was fascinated and curious about India. So I'm like, you know, all right, let's have an adventure. So I went to India and I opened up that school with some friends of mine in a house. We didn't have enough money to open up a, you know, a proper school, buy a building or land. And we opened up the school in our house with eight kids on the first day, three teachers. And that was the curriculum I made. I made a curriculum that would help them discover who they were. And then each year we grew, we grew until when I left in 2015, there were about 2000 kids, grades, wow. nursery, grades, nursery through eight. And true to the vision, that's exactly what our curriculum was. So we would find out who had the potential to be a chef and who had the potential to be a graphic designer, who had the potential to be a doctor and who had the potential to be an entrepreneur. And we would guide them in that path and get their parents on board also. And so by the time they graduated in 12, they absolutely knew where they were going and what they were going to do. And that's amazing. Then I took that knowledge and I said, okay, let me bring this knowledge and these tools to people all over the place, not just to this one school. And so then I left India in 2015. I was in Europe for some time. I was in the States. I'm now in Cambodia. My wife's from there. So I'm there for a while now. So I'm traveling and I'm trying to bring it to, to whoever's ready to check it out and to explore this, this really amazing approach to life. Yeah. It's amazing uh, the head start that these young kids get from a young age of eighth grade having so, a, a yeah. trajectory. And, but it's amazing that you've, you kind of looked at the world and decided, you know, more people need this because it's so true. Another great quote is, you know, you're never too old to become what you could have or should have been. And, I love that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, I really do believe it because, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm speaking to the 35 year olds out there who have been working a job and they, they make a good paycheck. There's a roof over their head. They're building paid, families fed, but they're just not happy. They're not fulfilled, right? And I want them to tap into what makes them get fulfilled. Like you said before, this gets me high, right? I don't have to go yeah. home and pacify this. Mm-hmm. While we're crafting things, sometimes there's aspects of what we want that we need to work on. So if I have an innate skill towards basketball, let's say I'm working on basketball, but I just don't have a three-point shot, or I just I can't do something. There's weaknesses that I need to, I guess, accept, or is there a way that those weaknesses can become strengths? That's a really great question. I love this. and I hope you dig my answer to this because it's it's really <laughs> different. My answer to this, get ready, there are no such thing as strengths and weaknesses. Hang on to this for a second. There are no such things as strengths. There are just differences in qualities. And here I'm going to lay it out for you, and I'll explain very practically what I mean. All right. So let's just say that there's an individual who is, you know, there's different qual- different types of tigers that I was saying, right? So mm-hmm. let's just say that there's somebody who's got a strong visual tiger. They're really good at like, you know, at seeing things, seeing detail. And so they're, they have a very extraordinary, very empowered sense of vision. And that person is always, is also very protective by nature, right? They have mm-hmm. this protective tiger that they want to make sure there's no harm or wrongdoing or, you know, safety is not compromised. You see that in some people, right? You know, if you, hey, put that mask on or put your seatbelt on, don't throw that there or let's go out and go to this rally. So there are people who've got a, a strong sense of justice and protection. So somebody's highly protective and they're highly visual. Yeah. 
And then this person gets a job at TSA, right, in the airport, watching those bags go through the scanning machine, right? Mm-hmm. So th- their eyes are finely tuned as those bags are going by and they want to protect it. So they are so wired to do that. And they just love it. And they're just all day they can do it because that's what those tigers are. So their big tigers are getting fed all day. Now, imagine that that same person has two bi- two other big tigers. One mm-hmm. is an interpersonal tiger. They love people. They love to interact with people and talk to people and connect to people. and They have a big entertaining tiger. They're very funny. They love to crack Mm -hmm. jokes. They love to make people laugh. So at this time, that big interpersonal and entertaining, what's going to happen? It's going to pull their eyes away from that screen and seeing all the people going by and making jokes and trying to talk with them. So these are going to be, these are actually going to create a distraction and they are a disability for this person to do their job. If those are not there, if they're very low on interpersonal and very low on entertaining, they'll be able to stand there all day and watch those bags go by and they won't be tempted to start chatting and joking around with the other people. Yes. But those are big tigers. So you might call, if someone's got a big interpersonal and a big entertaining tiger, you, you could call those strengths, but in this situation, they're a liability. So you're saying that the person's an influencer, it's going to be an absolute asset. Yeah, and let's say her name's Pam. Pam at okay. work is efficient at her job at TSA, but on the weekends she's the life of the party, she's the host and all that. In one, a skill and one is useful. In the other, based on the environment, it might not be viewed as such. It's an asset or a liability, or if you want to still call it a strength or a weakness, it depends on the circumstance is what I'm trying to say. So whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, whether you're uh, highly creative or very low on creative, there's some jobs that it's not good for you to be highly creative. If you are a security guard, I mean, <laughs> you're standing there all day at the bank and, you got, and you're highly creative, you're just going to go nuts. Yeah. How creative yeah. can you be as a security? So one solution is what you said. Your day job could take care of something. But if you have an underfed tiger, I call them hungry tigers, you can feed it at night. You can do stand-up comedy or you can have a podcast. Or, so what's important to me is that everybody has tigers. Those tigers do not change much after seven years old. So if you're highly funny, entertaining, that tiger's just going to be there and it's going to be with you. Uh, or if you're low on creativity, you might be able to get a little bit more creative, but don't expect that it's going to like suddenly become hyper-creative. But the yeah. important thing, and I have a wonderful quote here, which is, feed your tigers before they eat you. Mm. Yeah. So you need to be sure that whatever your big talents are, that they get engaged somewhere in the course of your day or your week. So you keep the tigers balanced because when the tigers eat too much, you get burnout. Yeah. When you overdo it or when your tigers don't get enough, you get hungry tigers and they start to eat you. They eat away at you because you're like, I've got to make this joke. I've got to make this joke, but I can't make this joke because I'll get in trouble. I've got to make this. You get frustrated. Mm-hmm. So what do you do? You, you know, you might drink a Red Bull or two or three, a cup of coffee, eat a piece of chocolate or two, or go smoke some cigarettes because you need some stimulation or pop some pills or have a drink or, right? Yeah. Whatever. Or go shopping. Yeah, whatever numbs. Exactly. Whatever numbs, whatever is going to quell that feeling of anxiety or frustration because your natural abilities are not being engaged. 
or they're being over-engaged. I want to talk about, and a lot might recognize this as, let's say, imposter syndrome. My skills and abilities have gotten me to, let's say, you you mentioned stand-up comedy. Okay, so I was the TSA, but I did stand-up comedy on the side. I got some notoriety. I got some attention. And then now Netflix wants to do a special, and then the house is packed. And I'm about to get on stage, and all of a sudden, there's all this fear and uncertainty and, and what I can do and my abilities. Kind of what I'm getting paid to. But I all of a sudden have imposter syndrome. How, how does that come into play? How can we combat that and maybe equip ourselves yeah. to kind of recognize our tigers and go out yeah. and slay it? <laughs> I, that, that's a great point. And I, I think that there are two angles to imposter syndrome. One is that you don't really have that nature down below underneath you, mm-hmm. but you're faking it or you're trying to pass yourself off. I'll give you an example. There's something called an entrepreneurial nature. Mm-hmm. Right. This is a tendency to create value, to put projects together. And so, again, it's something which is natural. If you've got it, you know, you have it because uh, let me jump in here. This is a good point for me to make good on a promise I made just uh, some minutes back. I said I would tell people how to know if they really have the talent or not. Right. Yeah. So there are a couple of things that you can do to ask yourself the question that will help you also deal with this imposter syndrome. So in other words, if you know you really have that quality, you don't have to worry about being an imposter because you've got it. You actually have it and you're building on top of it. Mm. But if you don't really have it and you're trying to work it, you'll always be trying to, you know, fake it till you make it, but it never happens. And so here are some quick questions, like without doing my test uh, that I mentioned at feedyourtigers.com, you can just ask yourself these questions. One, you can ask yourself, uh, am I naturally drawn to this, right? Do I have to push myself to do it? Or does, do I want to do it just because, like, I can't stop myself from doing it? Yeah. It's one question. The second is, when I do this activity, do I get absorbed in doing it? So, like, let's say it's music, right? Let's pick up an example. Is yeah. it that I say I want to be a famous musician and I want to be a rock star and I want to be all those things? But when it comes to picking up the guitar, I'm like, Ugh. I have to, like, practice this thing again? Or is it like... I can't stop myself from being on the guitar. I have to like put the rest of my life on a hold. I'd have to stop playing now and do that so I can get back to my guitar now. So do you live inside that? Are you absorbed in that? Mm. So naturally drawn to it. Do I get absorbed in it? Have I always been this way since I can remember since I'm a kid? Mm. So can I go back historically and look at myself when I was five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten? Was I also like this at that time? Was I entrepreneurial? When I was seven, you know, like in my case, I know I was because my brother wasn't nearly as much. He would be home making model airplanes and stuff. I'd be out like shoveling people's driveways when I was like, you know, eight, nine, ten years old and making money doing that. And like mm-hmm. when I was in school, then I started like a, a school newspaper and I pulled everybody together and I got advertisements for it. Then I tried to sell beach balls. So I have examples in my own experience of where I was trying to hustle and I was trying to. So I know that it's there. So. To your point about imposter syndrome, so one is that you're trying to fake it, but you don't really have it. And the other is that you just lack self-confidence and you're wondering, do you really have it? And do I deserve this? And am I in the right place? And can I be paid for this? And my answer to this is that if you have that tiger or those tigers, accept it, embrace it, celebrate it. Yes, you deserve it. You deserve it because that's what you've got. So therefore, you're not an imposter. You might lack the skill. You might lack the experience. But because that's who you are, you're entitled to be doing that. There's no imposter, right? You can do away with that. 
And the other side is also there. This is a harder thing, which is if you don't really have it, to also accept that. Mm. Because you've got other, I mean, it doesn't have to be a lost cause. You still have big tigers. You still have talents. And you can still be a rock star, but it might not be in the area that you were trying. It might not be as an entrepreneur. Maybe it's as a programmer. It might not be as a programmer. Maybe it might be as a healer. It might not be as a healer, but maybe it might be as an educator or someone who works with the environment. And to me, what's more important is not the type of tigers that you have, but the fact that you're connected to your tigers and the tigers are connected to the work that you do. You will get everything that you want. You will get the pleasure. You will get the satisfaction. You will get the recognition. You will get the substantial or adequate financial remuneration. Mm. You will Mm. get that. But you'll be able to get all of that only when you embrace what you actually are and you connect that to the work that you do. And that's how we start tapping into our potential. That is tapping into you. That's living your potential. Absolutely. Wow. Steven, I feel like we just kind of just nipped the surface of the knowledge that you have on this. And I don't want to rob our listeners and viewers of having access to your untapped knowledge. So how can folks get in touch with you, learn more about MNI and the work that you do, and maybe identify how they themselves can start unraveling their true tigers and learn how to unlock them? Yeah, so as I said, the fast way to get there is just remember feedyourtigers.com. Our main website is multiplenatures.com. And so there I talk about the tools that we have and programs that we have to get you in touch with what the tigers are and then how to connect those to careers. Our, In fact, on our database that we have, there are thousands of careers, tasks, hobbies uh, in the profile. So it'll show you the areas where you could be spending more of your time and, and energy uh, to get the kind of satisfaction that you want. And I'm always around and available to guide people. This is what I live for. So. Nice. And I'll have that link in the show notes for for everybody. Uh, Last question here, and and this has been a pretty, pretty kind of more educational podcast, but this is a question I ask kind of on the end of each episode, just for some reflection and recognition in terms of uh, what's something that maybe has happened in your life or something that you've seen that shapes the way you see the world as a man? Okay. (laughs) It's a heavy one, I know. That's a heavy one. It's a big one. Yeah, I would say this, that, I mean, keeping in connection with the theme of what we've been talking about is that everybody has a unique way of being. Mm -hmm. And when I was in India and I learned about the basic message of like the Bhagavad Gita, which is their main book, um, you know, the people of India, that you can't escape who you are. Mm -hmm. You can't escape who you are. And so it's better to be the best you that you can be rather than trying to be uh, there's somebody else. There's a great quote that says you might as well be yourself because everybody else is taken. Right? Yeah. And what I found is that it's so much easier for me to be myself rather than trying to be something that I'm not. And so that to me is the greatest gift and the greatest takeaway because it reduces the strain and the stress of my trying to overachieve and, and live up to impossible ideals. So that's given me my greatest amount of doesn't mean I take it easy on myself or or that I let myself off the hook, but allows me to step into who I am and to expand things rather than trying to jump after things a a bit sporadically and randomly and and feel like I'm I'm jumping in the darkness. So, yeah, leaning into just being more of myself rather than trying to be someone who I'm not. Yeah, Um, I love that. That's one of the greatest things that I took away from my 21 years in India. 
Yeah. Well, Stephen Rudolph, thank you so much. This has been hugely valuable for our listeners. I'm actually going to recap some of the notes that I took, abundant amount of notes that I took, because you, you did take us to class, as you said. You had that teaching tiger, and we were all blessed by that today. Not what I wanted, but fish and water when you first described that teaching job. I love the way you said it because a lot of us might be in something that we're trying so hard. We might be chasing this dream, but we end up settling for something that we might not have wanted, but it ends up being exactly what we needed. And and when you said, you know, this this gets me hot, I can live yeah. off of this. A lot of us go to work, and then on the weekends we pacify ourselves because of the everyday lives that we live. There's no need to live like that. If we can identify those things that give us joy, that fill us up, we can do that for a living and we can have a life of abundance. Um, No such thing as strengths and weaknesses. Maybe it might just be the the stimulus in which you're in. Everybody knows how boiling water, the boiling water that softens the vegetable hardens the egg. It's not the boiling water. Mm. It's it's the item within it. So just because you're in one area, it might be a weakness. The other area, it could be a strength. And feed your tigers before they eat you, Stephen, letting us know that we need to accept it, accept our tigers, which it will help us maybe identify the root behind our imposter syndrome. It's either we are faking it or maybe we're lacking that confidence. And if that is the case, then either way, accept it and know that you have those tigers, feed those tigers, and you can't escape being who you are. So might as well be the best you that you could be. Yeah. Leave it. Phenomenal, brother. Thank you. You nailed that, brother. Thank you. Absolutely. And to anybody that got value from this episode, you already know what I'm going to ask you to do. Share this with a friend because that is the best compliment that you can give us. Leave us a rating to let us know how we're doing. It's the only way we can improve for you. And, of course, make sure you hit that subscribe button and that bell notification. It should be in one of these corners up, down, depending on whatever platform that you might be watching this on. But just know that we appreciate you. And by subscribing, you can get a new episode each and every single week. Thank you for making it to the end. And as we always say, everybody wants the sunshine, but they don't want the rain. But you can't get that pleasure without first the pain. Let's grow.